Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. Hi, Melissa. Happy Tuesday, and welcome to episode 67 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. It's crazy, and it is 2020. How did that happen so fast? That's even crazier. I can't believe it. I know. So what are you looking forward to in 2020? Oh my goodness. I am looking forward to quite a few things, but definitely the thing that stands out in my mind is my book is going to finally be released. The book that I wrote with Dr. Karen Purvis, The Connected Parent, Real Life Strategies for Building Trust and Attachment. So it has been a journey and I cannot wait to see it finally come to fruition. I am so excited to have a front row seat to watch this unfold. Super, super excited for everyone involved. I know all of our listeners are excited too. So we'll definitely be keeping y'all up to date about how that goes. Um, You'll have a front row seat as well. So this week we have an interview that Lisa did with Tanya Dixon, and she had this kind of unexpected open adoption. She did. It's a great story. In fact, I um, spoke at a retreat for adoptive and foster moms in Ohio, and Tanya shared her story. She was one of the extra speakers, and it was so good and so compelling, and I thought, I need to get her on the podcast. And it wasn't until we actually recorded the podcast that she told me that when I heard her tell her story, it was the first time she had ever told it in public. So this is only the second time. So I'm so happy I get to share it with everybody. Well, I am really excited to hear Tanya's story. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's really fun to see you. I haven't seen you since I was in Ohio with you at a retreat, which was very, very special, by the way. Absolutely. My first adoptive mom's retreat. Well, you kind of knocked it out of the park because you shared your story at your very first retreat, and it was so beautiful. I know everybody was very touched by it, but I was so taken by it, and I thought, I have to have you come share your story and what you've learned in your adoption journey on the podcast. Thank you. Do you want to start by just sharing sort of the broad sweep of your, well, let's actually, let me back up. Let's start with how you came to adoption in the first place and then share the story of your daughter's adoption with us. Okay. Uh, Well, I knew from the time I was a little girl that I was going to adopt. Um, I knew someone who was adopted when she was about eight or nine years old. And um, she was a friend of mine and I loved her. And she came and stayed at my house for a week and I was so excited. And um, at the end of that week, when she left my house, I didn't realize and didn't know that her adoptive parents realized or had kind of um, decided that they were no longer a good match for her. And they took her back to the children's home. And it was the first time I ever remember crying for an emotional reason. And I just, even as a young child, I thought, that's just not right. And I just, it was like, that was the night that God put adoption on my heart. And even though it was probably best that those, um, that that girl didn't grow up where she was at that moment, even though 
it didn't work out for that situation. I found her later on as an adult and she was living a happy life. So in the end, it was probably both, it was probably best for the family and for her. But that moment was really profound in your life. Yes. And what do you think it was about that sort of reached your heart? What was it other than, I mean, obviously it was a loss for you that you had this special friend, but there was something more than that. I I just thought when you adopt that child becomes your child. I just couldn't come to terms with the fact that they said that she was their child. And then they said that she wasn't. That was just always something I couldn't understand. And I think as a young child, I just thought when I grow up, I'm going to adopt and it's going to be forever. Well, that makes sense. And I, I think that one of the things maybe you even felt back then is like this girl was at the mercy of all of these adults. Like she had no influence in the decision of, of losing her friends, moving all those things. And I am guessing that was part of what you learned. I still remember that moment when my father told me. Mm. I just couldn't believe it. So you always knew you wanted to adopt and you got married. And then how did it all happen that you adopted? Well, we had our first child and our first child is a birth child. And we did experience some infertility. But again, like a Our plan was we were going to have four kids every other year and then adopt a sibling group. That was the plan. Did not work out that way. Um, And it worked out so much better. God's plan is always better than our plan. We did experience some infertility. And interestingly, we looked into starting the adoption process at different times. And every time it was just shut down. And I really believe that I was supposed to be Laura's mom. And it's like I was trying to just go before God. You know, I wasn't waiting on his timing. And when it was supposed to happen, then it did. So we went through a process where we had to make an adoption profile book and birth mothers would then choose our family. That was, I felt like the story that I wanted to be able to share with our child that your birth mother wanted you here. This is what she chose for you. So we did a private infant adoption. Okay. And so you were chosen. Were you chosen more than once or was this just the first time that you'd... This was the first time that we had been contacted and it was probably, I used to know exactly, between nine months and a year before we heard anything. But honestly, that's what I was praying for. I was like, I don't want to just hear something. I want to hear when it's our child. And in fact, when we got the email or when I received the email about this situation, because you were sent an email about a situation, and then you could say whether or not you would like for your profile to be shown to that birth mother. I knew when I read the email, I told my husband, you know, if we move forward with this, this is going to be our child. So you just had a strong sense about it. Right. I mean, I think it was God letting me know, you know, and just giving me that peace and confidence. I mean, what was fascinating to me about your story when you shared it 
was sort of this journey that you took as a family from very slightly open adoption to where you are today. So can you tell us what it was like at the beginning? What was the plan in terms of openness? Um, In the beginning, it was almost going to be a closed adoption. We would have access to information through a third party. But as our daughter's birth mother's pregnancy um, went on and we were emailing and communicating, like I said, through this third party, we just became closer and closer. And actually there was a natural disaster that came through where she was located and it made communication very difficult. So rather than having to wait through that third party, uh, we actually exchanged phone numbers and were able to, it was actually the first time I ever texted was to my daughter's birth mother. So, and it just became completely open. In fact, um, she asked to meet me before uh, the birth. So about a month before our daughter was born, I traveled to where she lived and um, spent the weekend with her and kind of got to know her. And so even just in that short amount of time, it went from being almost closed to she wanted to meet us. And we were actually at the hospital when our daughter was born. So originally, in terms of it being mostly closed, that was her preference originally, correct? It was her preference. Yes. And I was a little concerned about that because I wanted to be able to have access to information because I wanted to be able to, you know, share as much as I could with, um, with our daughter as, you know, she grew up. Now, was there a point in the pregnancy where this openness was happening? You, you've exchanged phone numbers and did you ever feel like, oh gosh, maybe this is more than I expected or did that come later? I guess there were probably times later on when it would kind of get to feel like it was a lot. Um, I just really felt like I became friends with her. And she actually told me at one point she felt like she was carrying our child. It was, um, I don't know how to describe it. But, but do you think that was a reflection of the peace that she felt and, and the, the trust she had in you? I think so. I think she was probably afraid of what we might think of her because she was in this situation where she felt like the best thing that she could do for her child was make an adoption plan. Mm-hmm. And there's so many unknowns to that. You know, she was scared. She maybe thought that we would think that she was a bad person or, or I, I, I don't know. I guess I can't really say what, what I, what she thought, but I just know that our relationship continued to grow closer. We began to trust each other and I just had no idea how much I would love her. You know, when thinking about adoption and, and going through that whole process, I was only really thinking about the child and, and our you know, first or oldest child and how that would all come together. And I wasn't at that moment, I mean, I wanted an open adoption so we could have access to information, but I wasn't really thinking about the relationship that we would have with her. How has it kind of progressed? What's it been like over the years? Well, over the years, there have been years of a lot of contact and years of not as much contact. 
depending on what was going on in our lives and in her life, I think and I hope that I have always been a support for her when she's gone through some difficult, you know, things. Anytime we've ever needed any kind of information or anything like that, we have been able to have access to that. And I suppose it really changed more so like cuz when we got in contact with my daughter's birth father. So that's maybe jumping ahead a little bit, (laughs) but um, our daughter is biracial. Her birth mother is white and her birth father is black. And although she always knew that she was adopted and she had seen pictures of her birth mother, we hadn't had any contact at all with her birth father. We offered to him through our lawyer the same kind of um, openness we could, we would, you know, send him pictures and letters, you know, things like that. Um, And, but we never heard back from that. But when Laura was around five years old, she began to have questions about why she looked different than the rest of the family. And, you know, her skin was brown and her hair was curly. And that it was at that point that we said, well, you know, you get that from your birth father. And she was just like, oh, I have a birth father. And it's not that we had never talked about him, but we just didn't have any information to share. So it was just kind of like, you know, he wanted what was best for you. And that was really all we had to go on. We did get a piece of information from our lawyer's notary who was there when he signed the papers and she had said to us, um, he was just a really nice young man, that this decision was hard for him, and that he really truly wanted to do what was best for the child. So we did have that to go on. She asked, my daughter um, asked if she could see him. And I was like, you know, in this day and age, you can just, you know, hop on Facebook and um, pull up a picture. And I said, you know, here he is. And I showed her the picture. And she said, no. And she touched my arm. She was pressing on my arm. She said, can I see him? Like physically, I want to see him, be with him. And I was like, oh, that is a whole nother question. And I just said, I don't know. Because, because I didn't know at that point. Now, had, she, had you spent time in person together with her birth mom? No. Okay. So at that point, they hadn't met in person? No. But she wanted to meet her birth father in person. Correct. I think just because she had information about her birth mother, but this was brand new. Sure. And how old did you say she was at that time? She was five years old. So what did you do with her request? Oh, prayed. (laughs) Um, We had a lot of conversation about it. We prayed about it. We talked about it. Um, Obviously, this is something that we knew would come up eventually, but I think we were both surprised at the fact that it was when she was five years old. We decided that it would be best for her if we could get in touch with him. And so we had a little bit of information to go on. And like I said, I did find his his Facebook profile and uh, we wrote a letter. It was just kind of like, hey, remember about five years ago, you know, and it was just It's not something that you know really how to approach. So it took a little bit of time to figure out how we would approach him. 
And so we just sent him a letter that said who we were and who her birth mother was and that we had adopted her um, five years ago. And we sent a couple of pictures along because she looks like him, you know, at that time on Facebook, there was something called an other folder. And if you weren't Facebook friends with someone, then your message would go into this other folder. But if you paid $1, you could make it go into the inbox. So I would be able to see that he had opened it. That was at that point, all I could do. And it was probably maybe three days before he got back to us. And I just have to say like, those days were very emotional and you're just waiting and you're checking and is he getting, and I can't imagine being the adoptee waiting for that. And I, I, you know, even as Laura's mom, I, I just imagine it would be magnitudes greater and more difficult for the adoptee to be the one opening up that relationship. So what were you feeling in those days that you were waiting? What was the overall emotional feeling? Just anxious. There was some excitement, like, because I would like to have, I was hoping to have some information too. And um, uh, nerves, of course. We were able to, we we actually did a background check before we even um, contacted him um, because we felt like, you know, first and foremost, we want to make sure that um, this is a safe person, which we believed that he was, but just kind of doing everything that we could do in order to, you know, go about this in the best way. We did a background check, we sent the letter and just waited. Were you at all worried about him saying no and your daughter feeling rejected? Yes. Yes. But we didn't tell her about this at this point. Of course, I was afraid of that. Um, But, you know, I just kind of always held on to what our lawyer's notary had said about him. And she said, he just wants what's best for the child. And that just kept playing in my mind. And I just thought, I just want what's best for this child. You know what I mean? And so I felt like, I, I just felt like it would be okay. And again, you know, Um, I had faith that this was something that we were supposed to do, even though there was a lot of fear too, I knew that it was something that we were supposed to do. And I knew that it was something that we needed to do for our daughter. So after three days, what happened? So we got a note back from him that um, said he did in fact remember the situation. And he was kind of like, why are you contacting me now? You know, I think there was some suspicion maybe about why we had waited so long. You know, we were just honest and said that she was having questions about him and we didn't have any information for her and there wasn't anything that we could tell her or share with her. And so basically we were doing this for her and we said, we've only spoken about you and her birth mother Um, in loving ways and in kind ways. And, you know, this was something that she was interested in. And, and he was actually um, one of two potential birth fathers. 
and he never knew whether or not he had fathered a child. The relationship had um, between Laura's birth parents, uh, they, they stopped communicating and there, so he, he didn't even know if he had a child. He didn't know if it was a girl or a boy. He had no information. So this was the first that he had heard of it since, I guess, since signing the papers. That's so confusing to me. How could he sign papers if they didn't know for sure if he was the father? Because um, birth fathers can sign papers before the birth of the child in the state where he's located. Birth mothers have to, there's a a waiting period for them to wait um, before, and it's after the birth. There's a certain number of hours that they have to wait before they can sign papers. So how was it determined that he was the father and not the other person? After we began kind of like this email back and forth with him and everything, we actually spoke with him on the phone and he was really happy that we had reached out to him and we decided that we should do a DNA test just so that there's no question. Nobody has to wonder. We did the DNA test and it came back that he was in fact her birth father. It was at that point that we brought Laura into the conversation. And what did she, I mean, she was little, she was just a little girl. I mean, she's still young, right? Right, right. Um, She's 11. Yeah. And what did she think or say when she found out that you had been in touch with him? Um, She was super excited. And, And so I just said, so if there's anything that you could ask your birth father, what would you want to know? And she said, ask him what his favorite candy is and ask him what his favorite movie was when he was little. And I said, is there anything that you want him to know about you? And it was the funniest thing. She was like, tell him I like to wear my purple dress with purple polka dots. And it really was like her favorite dress. She loved it. Every time it was clean, that was the first thing she wore. So it was very much a, from a five-year-old perspective. Wow, that is really, really cute. Like those Mm -hmm. were the things that were about sort of about knowing somebody in relationship. You know what their favorites are, right? Right. And so for her, if she could know some of his favorites, then she knew part of him. And if he could know what her favorite dress was, he knew part of her. Right. That's really, really sweet. So then how has it developed over the years? So um, we began um, talking on the phone sometimes, but Laura didn't really like to talk on the phone. You know, once we kind of got through some of those things that she wanted to know about him, he wanted to know about her. The first time I think that they actually ever talked on the phone was on her birthday when she turned six, because we uh, um, have kind of always lived away from family. And so something that we did is we would call each other on our birthdays and then sing happy birthday. And so he really wanted to talk to her. And I said, why don't you guys call her on her birthday and sing happy birthday to her? Because that would be something that she's used to that would seem familiar. And that's what we do with family. And so it would seem normal. And so they did that. But 
whenever um, we would talk on the phone or FaceTime or something, she would always run away. <laughs> so, you know, cause she's little. And so what she started doing is every once in a while, she would just send him a little video clip. Like she would just be like, hi, you know, this is what I did today. Or this is, you know, just whatever was going on in her life. Or if she had a question, you know, and she enjoyed doing that more, I think because she didn't have the pressure of responding to him. Like if he would ask a question or something, it was just, it was just less pressure. And so then he would send her a video clip back. And oh, that's sweet. That's a really nice way to do it. More kind of more fun, more like you're saying less pressure for everybody right. really. Right. And right. so how long did you communicate like that? Well, I mean, we still communicate like that, but she really still wanted to meet him. He really wanted to meet her. We had invited him to come where we were living at the time. It just didn't really seem to work out. And so we decided, well, what would you think if we came to you? It was probably about a year and a half after, year and a half, maybe maybe a little more, of communicating like that. And so we were really all feeling comfortable with each other. And sometimes I would talk to him you know, separate from when Laura was talking to him. Well, often, and I would send pictures and send texts and and stuff like that. So Laura was a little over seven. So like I said, it was about a year and a half or so. And we just got a really unbelievable deal on our flights to travel to him. And so we're like, okay, well, this is, this is the time that we're supposed to go. And we traveled to their town. And in the midst of this, um, even though most of the communication at the time was with her birth father, because we were traveling to their town, we also then talked to her birth mother and was like, you know, hey, could we meet up while we're there? And we kind of looked at it like this is a family vacation. And then on, but during this time, we're going to get to meet Laura's birth parents. So tell us, tell us about that. Tell us what that was like. It's, it's scary, but it's also just amazing. It's beautiful. We, we had contacted our original social worker and agency where we did our um, home study. And we're like, can you give us like some rules or some parameters or, you know, like, we don't, we don't know how to do this. There's, there's no file in your brain for, for how to open up this kind of um, relationship. And they just kind of gave us some things like, oh, meet in a public place and kind of let your daughter sort of be in control of the time and what's happening. And if she's ready to go, then go or, you know, those kinds of things. And so we decided to meet at a park, which was great because she's little, she needs to play, she needs to run, she needs to climb. When her birth father came um, and, and his girlfriend came, they brought their dogs, which was awesome because then my kids and we were all, you know, five of us there. It's like they could see us as a family and then we could see them in their life situation. And um, we just had fun together. And we told Laura that if she wanted to, she could invite them to come to dinner with us after the park. And at some point during the time there, she kind of ran up to her dad and was like, 
you know, told, told him to ask her birth father to, if he would, if they would like to come to dinner with us. So she was shy about doing it herself, but um, she really didn't want that time to end. So this is like another whole topic we could get into, but what did she express anything about seeing someone from her family who looked like her, someone with brown skin? Did she, at that point, did she express anything or has she over the years? Um, She has, but you know, she's, because she's biracial, it's like her skin isn't like her birth mother's and her skin isn't really like her birth mother's either. It's a mixture of the two. She's like, I'm mixed, you know, and And so, you know, she has expressed things like, I'm not black and I'm not white, I'm both. But she understands that society sees her as black. So that's, it's like a whole nother um, layer to all of this. But um, she was just really happy to be able to be with him, talk to him. And, you know, we did go to the restaurant and she sat next to her birth father. And I actually have a picture from that time. Um, And because you don't know how the conversation is going to go, I just printed a whole bunch of pictures from the first five years of her life so that she could kind of, they could look at the pictures together. She could tell them, oh, that was this, or this is when I did this. You know, so they would, there was always, there was never really like a lull in the conversation. There is a picture of him looking at her that like, I'm probably going to cry. It's just such an expression of love that is um, just so precious. I just love that picture because she can even see in that picture how much she cares for her. Oh, that's beautiful. Do you have it in a little frame anywhere in your house? <laughs> no, you know what? She ha- it's, it's interesting. She has a box of di- various things from like the hospital where she was born. Um, she has letters from some of her birth family, like maybe cards that, um, that her birth father has sent to her that she keeps in her closet. You know, she, she gets it out and looks at it and looks through it. I think when she needs to, and it's, it's hers and, um, and I can, you know, kind of tell when, when, when she's had it out. And I think that it's important for her to be able to have that, that, and it doesn't always have to be necessarily with me. Um, but sometimes it is, and this is kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but we went back again this summer and we were going to make a book about, or of pictures for, that trip. We haven't done it yet, but that will be something that um, will be on the shelf as well. So tell us about that. So like we have four years passed since that first visit. So it was like, she was um, seven. She was, so she was 10 this past summer. She was still 10. Okay. And so again, the communication, sometimes there's a lot and then sometimes there's not. And it's just kind of really depending on what's going on in both of our lives. Um, I try to always send pictures. If it has been a while, then I'll just send a text like, oh, hey, here's some things that have happened, you know, and send pictures. Um, She doesn't always want to talk and I don't make her. Um, But 
I still want to make sure that those lines of communication are always open. It was just kind of a cute story. Like when she was in third grade, there was an assignment in her science class and it was on genetics. And, you know, she's like raising her hand and she asked her teacher, well, can I use my birth parents instead of my parents, you know, for this assignment? And so it was really special because you know, although we know what color eyes they have, what color hair they have, it's like, we don't know if they can roll their tongue or which toe is bigger. And so she was able to complete that assignment for the purpose, for its, its purpose. And if we didn't have that open communication, like she wouldn't have been able to participate in that. That's really, really neat. I love that. I want to hear a little bit about the more recent visit. And then I want to go back and talk a little bit about her relationship with her birth mom and your relationship with her and where that is now. But tell us just a little bit about the visit with her being a little bit older. Right. So this time it was different because it was just um, Laura and me, the two of us went. She even said, like, we were on the way there. And she said, the last time I was shy. And she said, I'm not going to be shy this time. And with the whole family, it was like, I think we needed that. Um, We kind of just needed to have that base. You know, somewhere along the way, um, somebody had said to us, you need to get as much information in as early as possible so that the, the child can process information as facts before they process it emotionally. And... I feel like our first trip was like our fact trip and she was still so young. Like she, she was excited and stuff, but she didn't really have a lot. She was still kind of in the fact mode of processing. Whereas this time she's definitely more um, emotional and thinking of all of these different things on an emotional level. So, but she kind of went into it with a plan. She's like, I am not going to be shy. She's like, I am, you know, and, and so she was like, cause we had four days, we had two days with her um, birth mother, two days with her birth father. And I think she really just wanted to make the most of it. And so we planned a lot of really fun activities. And in the beginning, it's always a little uncomfortable just, you know, cause it's been a long time since we've seen them. And even though you talk to them, it's not, it, it, at that point, it, our conversations weren't super consistent time-wise. And so it's kind of like we went there and then we would do a fun activity and it just kind of like helped everyone just be more relaxed. And they just got to have special, we went to a children's museum. We went to like a candy display, which of course, you know, that's going to be super fun. And of course, you know, having meals together and just laughing and talking and like with her birth mother, we went bowling. That was one of, well, we went to lunch first and then we went bowling, which was really great because, you know, one person is going up to bowl and then the other two have just a few moments, but it's kind of like enough. And then it's like the other person's turn. And we only actually ended up playing one game and that was kind of enough. It was kind of like everybody was feeling a little more comfortable at that point. And then we went on to the next activity. That sounds wonderful. What a great visit. And do you find that, um, like, did Laura come home feeling content and happy? Do you, do you see her processing grief and loss at this age or? Yes. Yeah, you do. She definitely does. Um, we, we did counseling, 
um, in preparation for the trip and we've done counseling since. And so we didn't really meet until lunchtime or after each day. And then we would go back to the hotel and um, she would journal and um, it would just kind of give her time. And then she could wake up whenever she wanted to. There was no pressure about getting up early. Um, we would talk about the day, talk about how she was feeling. And it's, it's, it can be really confusing because she sees them and they're really good people, lovely people. Just, um, I, I just, I love them so much, but it makes it hard for her because she's just like, well, why, why can't, why couldn't I be with them? She, you know, we had so much fun and you find out things that they have in common. Like she and her birth father both love to cook. In fact, actually on both trips, he cooked for us like the first trip when she was seven. And then this, this time too. And that was something that he wanted to do. And so you kind of, you see those things that they have in common or the way like her, her lips are, that's the same as her birth mother's and her eye, you know, you, you see this and then it kind of becomes a little bit sad too, because like, these are the things that she misses out on, you know, because she was adopted. I'm so happy for her that she gets to experience that, you know, that she can still see that, but it's still not an everyday thing. And even since she's gotten back, you know, she still is like, well, why couldn't I stay with them? You know, and she thinks about like what it would be like, well, if I lived with them, it would be, you know, kind of going back and forth. And in fact, we like to take walks and I feel like she talks a lot more on a walk because she's not like looking at me. There's not like the pressure. And, and she, she asked me, she said, does it make you sad when I talk about my birth parents? And I said, no, I said, you know, they're your birth parents. And I know you're just trying to figure it all out and everything. And, and she said, she kind of looked at me just very, her face kind of dropped a little bit. And she was like, it's okay if it makes you sad. And I said, well, I said, honey, you know what? I, I said, sometimes I wish that you were all mine and I didn't have to share you, but that's, that's not the way God made it. And like she, and she was so happy after that. And I think she needed to hear that I, I wished that she was all mine not that she doesn't want any part of her family, her, her birth family or her adoptive family, but it's just trying to put everybody, trying to figure out where everybody fits. And so, you know, it's hard even for me as an adult to think about it, process it all. I, I can't imagine, you know, at 10, everything that goes through her mind. And she is like a very deep thinker for 10 or she's 11 now, but. Well, that's really beautiful. I got choked up just listening to you talk about it. <laughs> but I, I just truly admire the decisions you've made because it does take courage. It takes a lot of courage, I think, to open your heart up and allow your child's heart to be opened up to the, these relationships that 
that we can't fully control, you know, right. but what a gift all of the parents and adults in her life are giving her that she can grow up knowing how fully loved she is and actually how fully wanted she is. Right. You know, that everybody loves her and that it's okay to love more than one mom, more than one dad. Absolutely. You know, she, it, more love is a good thing, not a bad thing. And so I don't know. I think your story is very beautiful and I'm just so glad you could share it with us. Is there anything that you, that I missed that you want to say before we finish? Um, I think just that um, I really believe that God has led us every step of the way. And when those fears come, it's just like, I just trust that we are on the path that we're supposed to be on. And I feel like he has led us and he has been our strength. So that's what I give all the glory to God. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I hope that uh, you just have encouraged a lot of other adoptive parents and maybe uh, help people deal with some fears. And I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa, that was great. I really appreciate Tanya's setting aside her own fears about what the future might hold and listening to her daughter and kind of going down this journey by faith. Uh, I have said it before, but I think we always do better when we are kind of following our kids' leads in these things. And it is not easy and it can be very messy and open adoption can look like so many different things. Uh, But this was such a neat story to have a window into. Yeah, I really, I love the story. I love the way Tanya and her husband are parenting their kids and especially honoring the adoption and all the complexities of adoption with their daughter. So I think it's a story just filled with hope and I hope it helps all of us just open our minds a little bit to the possibility of interacting more with our children's families of birth families of origin is what I really mean to say, but they're birth families. And to do that without fear, you know, do it with wisdom, open yourself up to the possibility. Yeah, I love that. Um, Sometimes it can be scary to go at it alone. So if you feel like you need more community around that, our free Facebook group is a really good place to hear wisdom from other people who are a couple steps before you hear stories, hear encouragement, get a little bit bit of advice. So if you're not a part of our community on Facebook, we would invite you. This is your invitation to come join us. And so you can find us on Facebook at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom, doing good work, and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.